You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 321 and 322 of Fed by Ravens. Woo! We are doing it and we are loving it. So we're glad you're with us as we are kind of in the... Uh, the last turn of the scriptures. Oh man, so crazy. The story has been progressing uh, beautifully and wonderfully, and it's fascinating. Um, so we're glad if you've made it this far. Good job. We don't want to undervalue the reality that you've engaged probably the greatest story ever written. Oh yeah. And it's great because it's, and what we believe is, it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. There is a God. He loves you. He's interacting in the lives of his people. And there's hope. So let's connect that to our Old Testament readings today. Our Old Testament reading for today is Ezekiel chapter 32 through 35. All right. More lamenting over Pharaoh. Yes. So the Lord, after announcing the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah... He has been giving the word to Ezekiel saying, okay, all the surrounding nations are also going to be punished for their wickedness and their inability to hear my word and turn towards me. And so we went through Tyre and a bunch of other nations, and now we've been going through Pharaoh, uh, who God is giving Egypt over to the Babylonians as a uh, Mm -hmm. uh, payment for their war against Tyre. What's kind of cool here, it's hard to see uh, at first reading, but what's very cool is um, the reason God's lamenting or having Ezekiel lament is because like, there's professional mourners, right? Yes. We know this from the New Testament. We know this from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. that when someone dies, you can pay people to mourn. Yeah, at your funeral or wake or whatever. And so God is actually employing the exiled people of God, Judah, mm-hmm to be the professional mourners over these other places. Over the nations. So, so you're writing, and which, but again, this is all prophecy. So like yeah. at the time of this, you know, Pharaoh is feeling good about himself. He's mm-hmm. feeling like a God. But meanwhile, the goddess of the universe and life is saying, uh, Ezekiel, you're going to be the, the lamenters mm-hmm. over Pharaoh. And then I realized, because now we've seen it a handful of times, you know, the king of Tyre, the prince of Tyre, mm-hmm. and now we're going, you know, we've seen it. And I realized that uh, this is God's heart. Like, he really does mourn over all the structures of the world. So, like, right. you have an evil, evil president or an mm-hmm. evil king or whatever. God's not happy, but even when they have to be deposed and they get tore up by the, the nature of this world, right? he's lamenting because they were representatives of his order, his mm-hmm. created order and justice. And so... Um, we're the people who lament that. And so the, the message is death awaits the one who spread terror in the land of the living. Yes. Like you guys were in the land of the living, and now you're going to... He describes this like really dark, sad scene of hell, basically, mm-hmm. where um, all these strong, mighty warriors and people are now dead. Yeah, so it is, a, it is pretty intense. Like I like there's this image that God is going to slay the dragon of... Yes. Egypt, yes, and which it was like a big theme in all the myths back then of 
um, the heroes or the deities were slaying the dragon, evil dragons of other nations or something like that. And so God's victory over Pharaoh. But then also that they were going to die and go to uh, hell or Sheol, as they understood it, um, like other nations had, other great nations had before them. Mm-hmm. So he lists uh, Assyria, Elam, uh, Meshech, Tubal, which uh, were sons of Javan. They were like an Asian country. Um, but it was like he's like going further and further back into history. And he's like, just like all these other nations who used to be great, who used to spread terror among the land of the living, you're going to join them in you, the afterlife. You don't escape mm-hmm. history's cyclical nature. Right. The only way you escape it is by repentance and faith in the God of the living. Yes. So then he turns towards uh, Ezekiel and towards Israel. So now the conversation is going to be um, God's continuing plan of salvation for the world through his servant mm-hmm. Judah and Israel. And yes. so um, he... He tells Ezekiel, you're the watchman. But the watchman is, he's, his time as a watchman is kind of coming up, is how I read it. It's a new, it's going to be a new type of watchman. So, yeah, so uh, from 33 on, we're going to see a big major shift in uh, his ministry because his, the first part of his ministry was foretelling the destruction of Jerusalem. And so in chapter 33, he actually gets um, a message from uh, a guy who escaped from the destruction of Jerusalem and made his way to the exiles and tells them Jerusalem's destroyed. And so now <clears throat> Ezekiel's new era, there's a new era. But this whole first part of chapter 33 is very much like, I, again, it's a, clearly to me describing, before I would get caught up in everything and think like, okay, wait, who's accountable for what? And you start, it's all Whose about accountability. But what I'm hearing now is it's, oh, God is clearly telling what his heart is. Right. And he's like, hey, I want to communicate my word and my truth to everyone. I want to warn everyone who's sinning and everyone who's straying. I want to give them chances to come back because I don't rejoice when the wicked die, when they're destroyed. I rejoice when the wicked turn. Yeah, he actually says that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Mm -hmm. But it is like um, if someone you don't trust is already kind of an enemy, says, hey, you need to lock your doors. There's something horrible coming. Mm-hmm. And I'm just here to warn you for the sake of your kids. Like, right. I know we don't like each other, and you don't trust them. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, I don't trust you. I think you're tricking me. Right. It's kind of like that. And then the, the bad thing does come mm-hmm. because you can't trust. And so people's hearts are not trusting God. So even when he's saying, I don't want to see you die, I want to offer you something better. Right. And that's where... Um, in chapter 33, you see verse 17 through 20, basically the people say, um, our way is just. It's your way, Lord, that's not just. Mm-hmm. They don't trust the Lord, and they think you're the one that's trying to mess with us. And so, uh, all right. So then God says, well, then I'll have to judge each of you according to your ways. Yeah. Which is bad news. Meanwhile, uh, at the same time, Ezekiel, I had forgotten that he had been mute. Yeah, so Ezekiel, he had been deaf, like not deaf, but mute. Like yeah, he had time. been he had been mute. Basically, he was only given the ability to talk whenever the word of the Lord came upon him. So he could only talk when he was prophesying. Beyond that, he was mute. And this was triggered and started when his wife was. This was triggered and started uh, 
at the beginning of his ministry, when God first called him and he saw that after he had seen the cherubim and had like a week to... So you're telling me that throughout his whole ministry, he only spoke when the Lord put it on him? He was yes, mute? Yes, he was mute. I've never connected that. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, so he was mute from the beginning of his ministry to the... To the time that the messenger showed up to announce that Jerusalem had been officially destroyed. How long was that? Eighteen uh, years? No, 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 no. It was like um, I want to say it was like five or six years. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. Because I was reading. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the fugitive came, and mm-hmm. He opened my mouth by the time the man came to me in the morning. So my mouth was opened, and I was no longer mute. So at the word of this fugitive saying Jerusalem's been destroyed. He now is no longer mute, but does that mean he's just getting the word of the Lord or is like he can talk now normally and say the things of the so Lord? So it was like six years. Um, six or seven years. I've never, seven years. He was mute for seven So like mm-hmm. what happened to uh, Zechariah in the New Testament was just the duration of the pregnancy, right? Yes. Like he was mute until mm-hmm. for John, nine months, yeah. John was born from Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. But Ezekiel, so that's not even new. So like Zechariah's probably going, I'm a part of something big. Mm-hmm. I'm mute. Yes. And so... How come no one ever talks about Ezekiel being mute for this long? Um, I don't know. But No one talks about Ezekiel. No one talks about Ezekiel beyond... Like, I don't think anyone talks about the first 33 chapters of Ezekiel. I know I haven't. Um, forgive me. The... As we progress from now on through Ezekiel, we'll actually hit more and more verses or chapters that will be like, oh, I've heard that before. Um, So yeah, so it was all due to God. I kind of see it as like God being like, I'm very specifically talking about my, like, I'm about to destroy the place that I've built and treasured. Yeah. And I need you guys to listen. And like every little thing in it was set apart. And I need... I need you to listen. So even this prophet is set apart to only speak the words of God. That's so cool. For seven years to announce the warning of God's coming judgment. Wow. Well, then it goes on. Like, basically, now that he can speak again, he's going to have two groups of people to speak to. Yes. The one, um, you can break them up however you want, but the two groups are, one is from Jerusalem saying, hey, if God gave us this land through Abraham... He'll give it back. Well, there's more of us now than there was in Abraham, so we're going to go back to this land soon. Yeah, so some of the people like in the land of Judah weren't all in Jerusalem, and they were able to run and hide and escape into strongholds and caves and wandering around the wilderness. And they're like, we're still more than Abraham. Yeah, and so they're thinking, we can go back and take the, retake the land. After, That's group one. Yes. And so they're not really going to listen to the word of the Lord that says, no, I'm going to repay all the Sabbath days and years you guys messed up. And so they can't hear that. The other group is in exile with Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. And the description is really haunting um, at the end. I think it's at the end of 33. Yes, it is. It's terrifying um, because it sounds kind of like today. Yeah, just read, uh, I think it's 30 through 33. It says, As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Mm -hmm. So let's let's go to church. They come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart is set on their gain, 
And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So essentially, Ezekiel's going to speak the words of the Lord to them, mm-hmm. lead them in the songs, and they're just going to be like, this is like really comforting. And as long as it's oh, helped... Oh, man, it's so entertaining. And if it entertains and it prospers, and they're yeah. only thinking about their own their selfish gain, mm-hmm. prosperity and satisfaction, then they like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. And yeah. I feel like I that, mean, and that's you think always about, the temptation, right? That's you think about happens. Ezekiel, and he's like giving pretty crazy uh, object lessons, and he's right. like doing all these crazy stunts. And so, yeah, I mean, there is a weird entertainment value to what he's doing. But again, they're missing the whole point that it's the word of the Lord. And back then, they're being reminded, like, oh, he's reminding us of our people and who we are. And yeah. It's not going to be wiped out. Yay. Because we're going to prosper. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you got to listen to what he's saying. Well, chapter 34 then moves into uh, the prophecy. So with his words, he's saying, we'll have to kind of go through this. I think mm-hmm. we can hit it pretty fast. The shepherds have been anti-shepherds. They've been the opposite of shepherds. Instead of feeding the flock and protecting them, they've been eating the fat of the flock. They've been not chasing or pursuing the scattered flock. They've been bad shepherds. Yeah, so the leaders of God's people have been only looking out for themselves, right. have not been leading the people to God. And so now God is saying, uh, I'm going to be the new shepherd. Right. I will. He says in verse 16, I myself will do it. I am going to have to be the shepherd and which puts what Jesus says when he's mm-hmm. like, oh, my sheep are scattered. Like, there's no like, shepherd. He mm-hmm. had mercy on them. He's seen it the way Ezekiel, uh, God saw it through Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. And so the promise here, you start to see some promises from yes. Ezekiel, which are really cool. The promise is that he will send a shepherd, a servant, who will chase. And then you think about Jesus' parable, like the shepherd goes after one lost sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, He'll go after him, and which is the opposite of the shepherds of Israel. Right, and he does send his servant David, in, like a prince, like in the line of David, a shepherd. I'm going to send a good shepherd. Well, it's so great because he says, "I'm going to be the shepherd." Yeah, it, but you know, and he also says, "I the shepherd will be David." Yes, and so it's a great like uh, little passage on how Jesus is both God and man. He is yeah. both from David and from God, because God himself says, Ooh, I'm the shepherd. Nice find. And I am sending, and the shepherd is of the line of David. That's awesome. And so it is this cool, like, messianic uh, prophecy of who's going to shepherd the people next, because well, every human leader has abandoned the sheep, and then, or worse, abused them. And then, well, he moves into a new covenant, mm-hmm. which is going to be of peace, not of blood, and not of all this stuff like... He's going, and then he breaks into like this covenant of peace, ushered in by a good shepherd. Yes, it's the idea of salvate, like saving, and then um, recreating, right? Mm-hmm. So he'll send the saving shepherd, who saves you from this death, but then he ushers you into a recreation where, and the recreation is described here as like pleasant boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. So showered with blessings, secure in the land from enemies, secure from beasts, not enslaved. But the main thing is that they would know the Lord and that they would be his sheep and he'd be their shepherd. Yes. So it's describing a new creation. 
Then we get into chapter 35 where we move once again back to uh, the promised land, but the people surrounding the promised land, specifically yeah. Edom. So it says Mount Seir. Mount Seir is in, refers to Edom, which are Esau's descendants yep. who have enmity with Israel, Judah. Yeah. Uh, and so I, it was interesting because we've already read a, a prophecy against Edom. Isn't Obadiah against Edom? Yes. We've read some prophecies against Edom before. And even by and Ezekiel. did it. Yeah. yeah. Ezekiel did it. And so now we're coming back to it again. And again, I'm realizing God is interacting with all the, the creation in real time. Like, yeah. And so what's happening here, there's something, a, a new turn in events here where Edom after watching Babylon come and go, they're now planning, and we read this in Jeremiah, they're now planning to overrun Judah and take it for themselves and incorporate it into their nation. If you remember back in Jeremiah, uh, there was the delegation that came from Edom, and and the one Judah guy told the new governor, like, hey, they're going to try to kill you because they've been hired by Edom to overthrow and take this over. They definitely are rejoicing in Judah's failing. Mm-hmm. And so for that, God basically God's saying to the people of God, look, I provide for you, mm-hmm. and I will prevent other people from having things. Yes. And I'm involved in it. So Edom, you aren't going to be rejoicing. In fact, uh, while the whole earth rejoices in my salvation mm-hmm. plan, I will make you desolate. Yeah. You're done. You're done. So uh, thanks, Ezekiel. Just, uh, I don't even know. There's, there's like so many lessons. You can't really boil this down to a lesson other than we continue to pound the idea that God is intimately involved with his people. Yeah. He longs to be their shepherd, and he longs to cleanse us, not just us, but even the places we're walking into by preventing the enemies, by preventing the surrounding nations from destroying us. Um, Thanks, Ezekiel. And thanks, God, for promising us a better shepherd. Our New Testament reading for today is James chapter 1 and 2. New book. It's a new book. And what a strange book it is. (laughs) So in the past... um, James has always been a wonderful book. It's uh, history kind of agrees, and it's not 100%, but everyone believes that the tradition is that James was the brother of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, it's a different type of book. And you can tell, so like before we even get into the history of it, having read, we're reading the Old Testament, we're reading the New Testament, you've read all the Pauline epistles, and then even Hebrews. Yeah. Now, reading James like this, not just reading it cold and coming Mm -hmm. to it, but reading it in light of 322 days of reading the scriptures, it feels so scattered to me. It feels like a shotgun of just all over the place. Yes. Well, it felt like coming off of Hebrews and coming into James, it was like a sharp left turn. Like, Yes. And and now here we are in, in this new book going... Okay. Because Hold Hebrews, on. even Hebrews was just constantly cycling around this these themes of yes. Jesus is a better high priest of mm-hmm. temple, right? Mm-hmm. And of sacrifice and worship. And James just gets right into like 
hey, uh, you're going to be a little bit persecuted, so you need to have joy in trials. You need to have faith. You need not to, you need a, life is a breath, rich and poor, be steadfast, uh, d- don't be tempted, there's good gifts, uh, there's hearing and doing, there's pure religion, there's partiality, there's like, he just hits all these little ideas, so you gotta sit, we gotta set it up, So what's we, happening. We have to think about it, so the author being James, brother of Jesus, who was not originally, as we understand, a believer or follower of Jesus while he was on the earth, who came to conversion after Jesus died and rose again, uh, quickly actually became, along with Peter, the he and Peter were the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Right. right. And so they're starting, they're finding themselves kind of in charge of this new movement in Jerusalem, and everything is scattered, there's new ideas, there's, like, everyone's trying to figure out what do we do, how do we live, and so... You have to, this is like, this book is like probably one of the first letters written. And so you have to think about it as it's one of the first Mm -hmm. letters being written, um, along with potentially Galatians, and they're starting to have to address all these different ideas that are cropping up in the church, and what does it look like? And then there's also all these new Greek philosophies that are Mm -hmm. coming in and infecting uh, the new converts. Yeah, I think if the if you're an apostle, mm-hmm. you've been entrusted with passing on like the plan of salvation, yes. right? So all the apostles are talking about the work of Jesus and you're what right. that means. When you come to James, it's helpful to realize he's not claiming to be an apostle. Nope. So that is code. That's code to the original audience. Oh, he's not an apostle. So we're not looking to how to be saved here. Right. Or the theology of what we believe now. Mm-hmm. And this is purely a letter of we need to get practical quick. Yes. And so don't read this book with the context of, oh, how are we saved? Read this book with the context of now that we're saved, how do we live? How do we move forward? Because uh, because it will appear contradictory, right? Mm-hmm. So as we go, and even in chapter 2, he uses Abraham, but in a different way than Paul and every other author. In Hebrews, we just read the Hall of Faith, and right. it seems to almost contradict what the Hall of Faith says. In fact, Genesis says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's the theme throughout the whole scriptures, mm-hmm. is that this faith has saved you. Right. James reads it as uh, he's saved by the works of that faith. Right, And so it seems contradictory, like, oh, wait, so we have to look at the fruit of our lives to feel safe. And everybody who interprets James properly and in its context would say, no, no, no. James is literally saying, guys, you're saved. You're saved by faith. And now here's what it looks like to move into that faith. Because we all, whether we're in that context or ours, we all believe there's something broken in us that thinks, now that I'm right with God, everything should go well. Right. And that's the lie. Uh, and the lie stems from the reality we're in a broken world. Mm-hmm. And so as long as you're in a broken world, you have to deal with a broken world. So you are saved, yet you're still going to go through trials. And that's why the book opens with, hey, I thought I'm with God. I, everything should be easy now. And right. he's like, no, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials right. of all kinds. This is producing your faith and your steadfastness. This is, this is making you perfect because mm-hmm. you're holding on to Christ and nothing else. But you kind of have to be 
no one likes that verse because it's like, I don't want to go through trials. Right. But this is, I just think this is why he even starts here is to set it up like, this is the very practical letter. You need to expect hardship. Right. Like, just because... Because we're out of the garden. We're not yeah. in the garden. Just because uh, you have found faith in Jesus Christ does not mean everything's going to go well with you. Right. You are still in a broken world. But we do long for uh, healing and mm-hmm. the presence of God and all that yes. now and in the future. Right. And we get it now. And so that's why he even says... So he starts off trials. So basically he's saying, stick with it. Mm-hmm. And then immediately he goes... If you lack wisdom, you see, I think James is showing us now how to live in a broken world. Mm-hmm. So you ask for wisdom, you ask for healing, yeah, and, and he will give generously. He's going to give, um, but the confusion is, but don't doubt. Like he's explaining your faith, so your faith doesn't doubt or waver. You put your faith strongly. Don't doubt it. Trust the Lord because you're going to doubt if you don't get what you want. Right. And so he's saying, a double-minded man. You'll be moved by the wind if it's just based on what you get from Mm -hmm. God or not. But we doubt, and we don't doubt. We trust the Lord, ask for wisdom. The wisdom will be to hang on to your faith in Christ. Right. And God gives that. He gives us faith. Mm -hmm. He He promises that, and he promises us relief from all sin and death one day. But in the meantime, you ask for faith, and he gives it to you. Don't be double-minded, right? Yes. And then then he has to kind of... I'm I'm starting to follow his logic. Yeah, me too. So he's going, okay, there's going to be trials. Mm-hmm. Ask God to help you through those trials. Yes. Now, when you are being tempted and you're going through trials, do not accuse God. Yes. The temptation, the further temptation when things start going wrong will be to go, God, why are you doing this to me? Which yes. I've done, everyone. I know you can help. If you're yeah. all powerful, why are you letting this yes. happen? Like God's if, just like face palming yeah, like, himself. How many times have you heard, well, I just don't know if I can believe in a God who would let these things happen. That's, that's funny. You believe in the God of money all the time. Mm, right. So we... Sorry, I'm So uh, James is going, okay, there, it will be t- trials and temptations. Turn towards God when you go through those, but don't blame or accuse him. He does not tempt us. Well, God is not capable of doing yeah, that. Before he even gets there, though, it's like he, he know, he's dealing with a specific congregation, and it's not far from all of ours, because he goes, look, you got to hang on through all the dark stuff. Mm-hmm. But he's like, um, you can't look at the rich. So before he gets to being tempted, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. He basically says, look, this life is a breath. Mm-hmm. And so you can't look at oh, he's rich, therefore God's with him, and I'm poor and God's not with me. Right. He's like, don't do that um, because the rich fade, like life is a breath. Then he gets to, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, right? Right. Because um, the temptation, this is where he goes, God's not tempting you. Mm-hmm. The temptation is not from God. It is actually from, uh, well, I, I like this part. He goes, he goes, they're tempted when they're lured and enticed by their own desire. Mm-hmm. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, fully grown, brings forth death. And so for me, he's addressing your flesh. So we have three primary enemies, right? right. The world, the flesh, the devil. Yes. Here's what the flesh does. The flesh gives you desires. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I want to be comforted. I want to feel secure. I want pleasure. I want whatever. That's your desire. It gives birth to sin, 
because the desire is pulling you away from the community of God and the community of his people and his word, right? Because it's not here with God, it's out there. So desire draws you away from community and then you sin Mm -hmm. and that sin brings forth death because death is being separated from God. You're on your own now. Mm -hmm. You're outside the camp and you thought something outside the camp. So I think uh, James is kind of, it's starting to make more sense. It's not as scattered as I thought when we started. I think he's getting so... um, He's worked up. He's specific. Yeah, he's getting worked up because he's seeing the behaviors of his church. Mm -hmm. He's like, look, your desires are leading you to death. And that's why then he even goes, you need to know that every good and perfect gift is from God. Right. Like, and then he talks about... Evil doesn't come from God. Right, and exactly. Good things come from God. In fact, uh, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we are the first... We're the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Right. So God has created us. You're not, it's not up to you to manipulate, and you can't look to your wealth and your ease of life to have faith. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening, and that's what happens. That's what all the religions do. If I'm, if I'm at ease, then I'm doing something right. I've heard people say that. I've heard people say that yeah. to me about church. Like, well, they have a huge congregation. They must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, it's crushing me with the small congregation. (laughs) But we have to keep going here. Hearing, and then that's why he moves to hearing and doing. So be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Like stop just speaking. Mm -hmm. Stop saying stuff you don't understand. Right. And then be doers of the word. This strangely dovetails with Ezekiel, does it not? Yes, don't just listen with like the congregation just listens Mm -hmm. and is entertained. And so, again, there is this idea, because you could read this and go, like, see, it's, it's works, not faith. Right. But they say, he says, um, you like a man who looks you in put, a mirror. You put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So the idea, again, is salvation comes from God's word, from his breath, from Jesus, it is implanted in us, and then as it grows, it produces these works. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the main things, as we're transitioning now into faith, there's kind of now a faith yeah. works thing as we get into chapter 2, the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2. The thing that he's working against right now, or speaking out against, is there's budding Gnosticism in the church and this idea of secret knowledge and so if I just know these little bits of God and know all these different truths, that knowledge is going to save me. Yeah. I don't have to act on them. It's just merely knowing them will save me. Right. And he's going, no! Right. That's right. And I think he's actually addressing the same problem in Ezekiel, mm-hmm. which is don't just hear the word and not put it into practice. Because then he goes on, you think you're religious. Right. But a religious man, you deceive yourself. How? If you're not being just like if you're not pure religion is uh visiting orphans and and widows and their affliction because again i think he's using the old testament language to say this is what we did in the past our hearts were not for the poor they were not for the widows and the orphans we didn't see ourselves as orphans and we need to um and you don't just need to hear this and think you're yeah it's it's do do it Take care of others. And then it works itself out in chapter two. Like, here's how I know your hearts. Because a rich person comes in and you move the poor people in church now around Mm -hmm. Jesus. You're like, oh, you're showing partiality to the wealthy because you think they're more holy because you want that 
for your life. Mm-hmm. And so James is really hitting materialism, yes. the way we, we worship stuff, because yes. we think it makes us good with God, because obviously God's blessing us. And he goes, if you do that, I, first of all, I don't understand why. It's the rich people who are dragging you into court. Right. It's the rich people who are abusing you and lowering your wages and mm-hmm. working you to death. Why are you doing that? And second of all, you know what? You break that. You break one part of the law. You break the whole law. Right. So if you think you're good, if you think that, you know, if you're getting confused on obedience and what God likes, that's how I read it. Right, right. And again, I guess if you frame it around, what's the law? Like the sum of the law is love God with your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you're showing favoritism, you're not loving your neighbor. Right. And, and he's at the end of it, the law. I'm connecting too. He's like, look, judgment is without mercy to the one who's shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So he's, mm-hmm. he's just trying to shotgun all these, all this self-sufficiency safety because right. you have, because he sees, I think James is going, look, I see the same thing happening in the new church. Right. We have this knowledge and we're not obeying it. Mm-hmm. And we saw what happened to that. So then we get into the faith without works is dead. And this is, again, where he's going, addressing the secret knowledge kind of stuff. And he's just going, look, true faith, when you are putting yourself under the work of Christ, when you're acknowledging, Jesus, I cannot save myself. I cannot do good works. I put myself under you. The works, the the faith will produce, like, Fruit. The will way, produce works. The way it's you been, will begin to act like a person of faith. Right. The way it's been said is it's the same side or two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. right? Faith and works. You, faith always produces works. Right. Now, here's the encouragement for us. I know we can't spend as much time, but because we gotta keep moving. But the encouragement is it's uh, it's Thanksgiving. Again, turn to the time of Christmas. We want to do good works. We want to love our family. We want to do mm-hmm. uh, give to the poor. Mm-hmm. We're trying to be good Christians. You will always fail. You will always end up in resentment, and you will end up broke trying to do that yes. on your own. Yes. You'll resent the people you love. You'll resent giving to the poor. And God knows this. Mm-hmm. And so the message of James is you need to receive the blessing from God the love, receive it from him first. That's the grace. Right. That's the good news. You receive it. Now you have something to give away freely because it will be replenished. I can give because the God of all creation replenishes what I've given. Yes. It's his. I'm giving away his love, Mm -hmm. his grace, mercy. And you know you're not giving away his when you're resentful and you start wondering why, what? That should drive you back to the gospel and say, God, I'm feeling angry about going to worship you. I'm feeling angry about other people. Why? I'm a person of peace. Because you're giving yours, trying to manipulate God to get something good. Instead of receiving what he freely gives you, now you have something to give away. And that's what James is trying to say. Yes. And that's why it's part of the Bible. It doesn't contradict the gospel. It actually... um, Supports it. Supports it. Yeah, is a. Uh, I was thinking of a great word that was going to go. Undergirds. No, not undergirds. That's gross. <laughs> uh, it supports. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> it like crowns the gospel. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. It's okay. it's a 
an adornment of the oh, gospel. Oh, there you go. And that's the invitation. Mm-hmm. Because if you can become a person who loves and it's not you can freely give it, man, you're going to enjoy that. And not just convince yourself that, oh, I'm enjoying this. God, you see mm-hmm. what I'm doing for you. He's like, I already sent someone to die. Yeah, you don't I, need to die again. I, I don't need you to do anything. Well, thanks, James. That was a lot. Our psalm for, day, for today is Psalm 127. And I, it, it does uh, perfectly cap what we just talked about. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children, are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.